0: You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple Biff Klobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Faye.
1: Hey Cliff, I got a blast from the past surprise guest tonight. I am excited. You
0: accidentally told me who you have on. Of course, the audience doesn't know yet, but I, I, I haven't been able to sleep all week, man. I am excited.
1: Most of the people that listen to this obviously watch this on Finding Bigfoot, and the guy that showrunner on that the guy, he made it all happen, was Chad Hamill. If you ever watched the behind-the-scenes episodes, he was featured pretty prominently in those. So, anyways, without further ado, here's Mister Chad Hamill himself.
2: What's up, fellas?
1: Nice. Thank you very much for making some time out of your,
0: your very, very busy quarantine schedule to come visit with us.
2: Oh yeah. Right. right when they shut down all productions, that's when I get the most busy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like productions are all shut down. Like Hollywood's pretty much screeched to a halt. It's like December or something yeah, all year. Yeah.
2: I was uh, supposed to be doing a history channel show in Turks and Caicos like a week before everything shut down. I was like, we had everything planned out and uh, three weeks in Turks and Caicos. Would have been tough.
1: Yeah. Rooms paid for an advance You just went down there and hung out.
2: Probably. But we had to live on a boat for part of it too. We were looking for a, a, a downed ship, and so it, it was going to be a tough shoot. But I still wanted to do it. Oh
0: well, uh, yeah, it's also the dead of winter here. Then again, you live in LA. There is no dead of winter in LA. Nope. Nope. But you're not. You're, of course, you didn't grow up Los Angeles. You grew up in the Dalles, Oregon.
2: I right? did. Yep, just outside, about an hour east of Portland. Yep.
0: Did you happen to visit Peter Burns' little Bigfoot shack that he had out there, the Bigfoot Center, whatever he called it? You know,
2: it? what's funny is so, on the Nepal episode, we interviewed Peter Burns. Yeah. Um, I went to his house, I think it was Pacific City, Oregon, and my dad was like, God, I remember there's a Bigfoot like little trailer in our hometown. And so when we got there, my dad and I went, my dad went with me to help me like just set up cameras and stuff. And they, start, they started talking, and like Peter was like he remembered my dad, and like he was married to my dad's neighbor. My dad lived on a farm, and the closest neighbor was ten miles away. It was like a real weird coincidence with Peter.
0: <laughs> this is kind of weird, actually. Yeah, somebody who's uh, been writing me, I've been uh, emailing back and forth this week with a gentleman who uh, is in Canada right now, but he's from the Dalles. Um and he he said he was like a a punk rock kid back in the seventies and he would go visit with Peter and Peter would take him and his buddy out Bigfoot into that little uh that, that little fort that Peter built out um on what is it, uh, uh Crates Point, I think it's called. Shit. Um Yeah, yeah, up there above where the 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 museum is now. So yeah, so Peter's been kind of on my mind this past week. And of course, you being in the Dallas, I had to ask you that one if you'd ever gone into the center or not.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I personally did. But mm-hmm. I don't, I'm pretty young, so I don't really remember it, uh, but my dad does.
0: Yeah, because uh, Bobo gave you the credit, like, yeah, th- this guy made it all possible with finding Bigfoot. But a lot of
1: people would go, oh, it's his fault. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can so see
1: the when we were fighting the man, Hamill was always, he was down for really squatching and really doing it right. So
2: It is pretty funny, because a lot of times, you know, I, I work on these, they call them unscripted shows. Um but they're pretty scripted, you know, like all the shows I do. And, and there's a lot of things where we're like, oh, we're out in the middle of nowhere, but we're not really. You know, if you like turn the camera in a different direction, we're pretty close to something. Maybe not a city, but uh, something. That, but like I tell people all the time that Finding Bigfoot was probably the most real show I ever, I ever did. Because like we talked to real witnesses and we would like we, we obviously had witnesses prepared to talk to you guys because we had to have a show. But during Town Hall, like if you guys liked Another Witness better, we would drop the ones we had set up and we'd go to the new ones. And then, you know, I mean, how many times did Moneymaker decide that he wanted to go to a new location based on someone he talked to at Denny's? So we'd drop everything. And like it was definitely the most real show. Like I mean, what people don't understand about any television is you have to have permits. You have to have permission. Like you can't just, hey, I want to go to this place because I heard it's the best. So there's there's – we were, but we still were still very mobile and flexible for a show, which I still think is remarkable. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I can't. I mean, I've done a couple other TV shows since Finding Bigfoot ended. You know, not like series, obviously, but one-offs. And and they all seem very concerned that I was not willing to lie on camera, or you know, like like, well, where where, where can we shoot this? Oh, we're going to shoot it over here. I said, well, you know, there's no Bigfoot sir, and I'm not going to pretend there are. Oh, real? Okay. Um. Well, yeah. Okay. We don't. Then then they back away, realizing, oh shit, we have a real Bigfooter. You know, um, and I guess that's part of the problem with finding Bigfoot initially is that we're all real Bigfooters, <laughs> you know, Um, and, and I love moneymakers ideas like, no, we don't work on their show. They work on our show. They're here <laughs> to document what we do. I was <laughs> like, yeah. the first
1: one to say that. But I will <laughs> say,
2: and I feel bad for him. this. Is not just you guys. This is like anyone who is brought in as a cast talent member. I feel like a lot of times whoever this they, they get sold a bill of rights kind of thing. It's like. We just love what you do, and we just want to follow you guys. And inevitably, it always changes into, nope, this is what we're doing. And so you guys, I I wasn't there in the initial conversations when you guys got brought in, but I'm sure that's what you were told. And then we're told you have to do these things. So there's always sort of a misconnect there. It takes, you know, as you guys found out, it takes a good season to sort of get your legs under you. Or
1: two or three. (laughs) (laughs)
2: well that first season was the roughest and then after that I thought it got a little bit uh, easier as far as like the crew knew what you guys were looking for and you guys knew what the crew was looking for so it it kind of got where we were sort of instead of fighting each other we sort of knew what each person wanted
1: were we the most difficult crew or cast you've had to work with
2: uh no no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i I can't say too much because i'll probably never get hired again but uh i mean there's definitely i've done i just finished a show where the host and i didn't talk for the whole last half of the season
0: (laughs) (laughs) see that would have made it easier for you with us if you didn't (laughs) actually have to speak to us
2: (laughs) i mean i wish that was the case
0: yes i'm sure some days you did
2: So, So, it 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 was a very fun experience
0: Yeah. You know, it's almost a decade of our lives. I mean, you weren't on the pilot, but except for the pilot, I think you were involved in every single episode in one way or another. Is that isn't that right?
2: That is correct. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. You're a glutton for punishment.
2: (laughs) Well, the good thing was, you know, most shows have a heavy turnover, like like the crew constantly changes, whether it's just like they have something else or they don't want to. Because we were on the road a lot. I mean, those first few seasons, we were on the road more than we weren't on the road. Uh, and so some people can't handle that. But for some reason, like we found a crew after season one that basically never changed. Like, uh, yeah, we might have a new sound person. Or, oh, hey, for some reason, our and producer was like the drummer for Spinal Tap. We always had a new one. But yeah. on a whole, like it was the same people for the whole series. So that, you know, like we all knew each other. And that point, we all became more like one. Instead of having like different like cast and crew, we were just one family.
0: Yeah, that, that saved me. I, I, I know, cause I had a hard time with being on the road seven or eight months a year for a little while, you know? Um, and I eventually, when I did get to come home, I didn't feel like I fit here either. So I, I guess my, my life was on the road, but that, just to know that when I'd, when I'd go back and there, you know, Adam Foskey would be there, Chad Hamill would be there, you know, Dana would be like uh, my friends were out on the road and that made it a lot easier for me to tolerate the, the rigorous schedule and, you know, this town, that town, this day, that day sort of stuff that we had to deal with. And, um, I don't, think all productions are like that i mean you tell me i mean
2: is that rare yeah it's very rare yeah i mean again like i said like i mean there's always like it's good to get on a series and have a thing but a lot of times these series were like once it goes they don't know they're gonna get picked up again until it airs so it could be season one might be a year from season two shooting and by that time you know a camera guy could have a different gig and he can't get off of and so animal planet was pretty good about going like we got to keep going, let's keep going. And so, I mean, it sucked for all of us not getting any breather and never going to be, you know, like, never going to be home, but it was nice to, you know, have solid work for that much time.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I could use some solid work right about
0: now.
2: <laughs> you ain't line.
1: <laughs> what's, the, what's the deal with all those, like, travel channel shows and all that? Like, traveling reality shows.
2: Yes, everything shut down.
1: I mean, are they talking about when they, what, what, scenario would make it okay for them to go back out on road shows
2: well yeah so yeah there's a lot of different factors but right now from what i've been told is you know like a crews are gonna have to shrink down a lot um which they're already i feel like are too small to begin with but um that's neither here nor there and then um we're gonna probably the first couple places you'll we'll be shooting are more rural areas that have almost zero confirmed cases or very small cases. I mean, basically we're finding Bigfoot shot is going to be the areas that start shooting at first.
0: Hey, well, well, Chad, you know, as I was thinking earlier today, it's like, uh, what what kind of things can I ask you about? And, um, I I think that a lot of our audience doesn't appreciate how much work and time goes into one episode. So, um, is, is there some sort of short condensed, um, version, like a reader's digest sort of thing where from beginning to end, this is what it takes to make an episode like in a, in a minute or two or less.
2: Yeah. Listen, you guys, are ed- you guys are the editors now. You can just cut out what you don't like me saying like I used to do to you. We're
1: just going to cut your like uh, one of those funny things, you know, like, where you take the voice and cut it all out. So they say things they didn't say. Make some.
2: Yeah. You're going to Frankenbite bite me. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I could I think I could do it. So basically we start out with like, OK, where, where's a good place to go? Oh look, there's a, like there's a, we had you know different people's websites, the BFRO, Cliffs, and then Bobo would give us advice, and then we sort of concentrate on those areas to find like a cool story to get us in there. Once we had the story, we'd sort of start to, like locating places um, within there that are geographically close, so we could drive to the next place, and then I have to get approved by AmmoPlanet. Planet. And then once we got to then we had about four weeks to prep, let's say just one episode, we had four weeks or so to prep that episode, get it ready, make all the permits, because it takes about 30 days to get a permit at a national forest. So then that, we set up the hotels, we set up, you know, hey, we got to go camping and it's Bubba's turn to camp. So let's make sure we have all the gear. We have the, the U-Haul that had everything that would drive up ahead of us. We'd shoot the episode for, what was it, seven days? I think a seven-day shoot.
0: Oh, like eight. Yeah, it was eight for most of the time. because so we had that one day off a week because uh, yeah. Bobo, Bobo refused to work on Holy Days, which is Sunday, <laughs> because of football.
2: Him and me both. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so then we, uh, so let's say you shoot it for a week and change, and then you get it back. And then from there, you have six weeks of editing to you turn in your first rough cut, and then another week and another week. So it's about nine weeks total to edit till you have an episode that you would say is airable.
0: Yeah. And in the meantime, we're still out there shooting other episodes.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times when we'd be shooting and like days of like, let's say the town hall days, we'd get done a little earlier and, you know, not five in the morning and I would go back to the hotel and watch down cuts and note them uh, for the editors.
0: Yeah. That's something that I always felt bad about is that, uh, you know, when we're done shooting for the day, we're I'm done. You guys have to go back and you know do all this other stuff, whether it's like uh, communicate with the network or you know upload sound files or God knows what else you guys were doing. But you guys worked for hours after we were all done. I felt like a wimp, you know. I know mean, uh, that was gnarly.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean the <laughs> ones that were really bad were the international ones because you know then you have to like once we're done shooting, then you have to figure out where to go, where we can go, and you're trying to do it through languages that not aren't probably necessarily yours, and so those ones would take hours afterwards.
0: And crappy internet reception, too, I imagine. Oh, yeah. That doesn't help. Kind of like where I live now.
2: <laughs> can I ask a couple questions?
1: Sure. Question.
2: <laughs> so now that it's all over and everything, what were your guys' sort of one of your more favorite locations that we got to go to?
1: You can do better than that, huh? We get that question all the time.
2: Well, I'd like to know personally.
0: I, I love the Pacific Northwest, which is why I live here, of course. But um, Australia. Australia was amazing. And then like that, that that weird interaction I had with that thing. And yeah, that, that's, I mean, that that was a crazy, crazy episode and
2: you know. You're a man of the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I sure am. Paul is pretty rad. Paul's great. Uh, I love Brazil. That was one of my favorite ones.
0: Brazil was great. And is that where Moneymaker bought the leather jacket or was that yeah, for he Nepal? Did
2: because he was worried about people might, if they had a knife attack, his leather jacket would repel it.
1: It was a motorcycle jacket, so it had protective plating in it. That he figured that's what would really repel the knives. He has legitimately <laughs> armor. Yeah, and he the thing weighed about thirty pounds, thick, thick motorcycle leather, and he was just wearing it. it as ninety degrees out; he's sweating profusely. So like, but if you just look at all the bad parts of town, you don't need that jacket. He's like, I gotta see the seething underbelly of this place, and. Yeah, and I guess he just wanted to wear armor in the
0: Brazilian rainforest to kind of simulate what it would have felt like to be a conquistador.
2: I mean, another thing about you know uh, Brazil that was great that you know this this happened kind of on camera, but different. Our sound guy Andy to this day, because I still work and talk to Andy probably once a week, and uh, he's very upset to this day because the whole thing with the fleur-de-lance snake that happened. You know, Bernays was like, it was right next to me. It almost got me. Well. It really was right next to Andy's head. Hmm. And he's the one that I guess was like, where they, they saw it they're like, hey, this snake is one foot from your head. And then he took off. And Renee was <laughs> like, oh, I was so close to it. And he's like, no, you weren't.
0: <laughs>
2: I don't think a lot of people know this. When we were in the Amazon, we, we lived on a boat. And we all had to share this boat. And about five, maybe six in the morning, I get a furious knock on the door going, Mr. Chad, get out here, Mr. Chad. And there's our point in the water and Matt's in there swimming around. For some reason he brought a wetsuit and giant fins with him to go swimming in the Rio Negro. And they're like, get him out, there's Cayman in there. And we're like, Matt, get out. Of yeah,
0: and by the way, Cayman, just in case you don't know what Cayman are, they're basically crocodiles. And there's these huge crocodile things that live there, and, and moneymakers swimming around in a wetsuit and fins, splashing around on the surface, doing everything he can to look like food, as far as I can tell, for these for these caiman that are saying, like, all the local Amazon guys are going, he shouldn't be in there. They're like 10 to 14 <laughs> footers.
2: He buy wetsuit and fins with him. But then he didn't bring any toothbrush or toothbrush. He's like, "Hi, i Something <laughs> but you yeah, did bring
1: to toiletries. Yes, swim fins, but no toiletries. Remember the piranhas? He's all. He's all. I just floated like I was a big piece. Like I was a big dead piece of wood. I just floated. Then all those little piranhas started nibbling around him. Yep. I had Fosky launched the. Uh, or no, it wasn't Fosky, It was Jeremy.
2: Foskey wasn't there, so we had Jeremy look who. Greatest time ever. That was a whole other story. I mean, I don't even know if like the audience, your audience would understand. Like this guy who came right. on for one episode to fill in for somebody, and, and he broke his first, he broke his front teeth out the first day, and on the last day he proposed to a local. I mean, I think that's all you need to know <laughs> about that guy. <laughs>
0: so chad like you asked us what our favorite episode was brazil yours is that was that the one you? you actually
2: i think brazil is my favorite uh i mean listen there's a soft spot in my heart for the oregon episode which shot in my hometown and you know i was able to like hook up with some high school people that got us a bunch of land there yeah um my parents came to town hall my aunt uncle came to town hall so i mean i that was pretty cool. Uh, I'm trying to remember else that I, I really enjoyed. You know, it's been season two. I think episode two hundred one. It was Minnesota when you guys were on the Argos. I don't know why that day just like stood out for me. I really enjoyed that day.
0: That was fun. And I'm I'm not a you know a bloodthirsty tree murderer, despite the edit. But it was a lot of fun. I will say.
1: <laughs> which 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 was your least favorite location?
2: Oh, geez. that's easy. That's the easiest question ever. is Kansas.
1: Kansas, <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, Kansas
0: so
2: old and there's no trees. I mean, there's trees, but I mean it just was so flat. And it was like our opening witness, like we like had this picture, and the whole reason we came there in the last minute, he's like, oh, I didn't know I never said I saw a bigfoot. I mean, it which happened every now and then, like people were just lying, and then like they waited and they got caught in a lie. And uh, so then you know suddenly we have to find we have to scramble to find a new sort of inciting incident to get us in there. Um, uh, but that was yeah, that was just tough. It was so, I mean, it was so cold.
0: Yeah. You know, the, I remember the search technique was I was going to be up at that plane, a biplane, uh, in which they had to change the, even the kind of plane I was going to go in. Cause it was too cold throwing meat bombs over,
2: you know, yep. landing in the Turns woods, FFA, uh, the FAA shut us down on that one. You can't yeah. throw a piece of meat out of a plane. They said,
0: no. Yeah. that I, I was so surprised, you know, cause I, I mean, I kept thinking of that WKRP in Cincinnati episode yeah, where they're throwing the, turkey. the live turkeys out. <laughs> I say, well, they did it.
2: I think the what, what other one I was like, oh, I mean, there's a few in there and I'm just like, they were fine. They're all fine. But you're just like, you're ready to get out of there.
0: Yeah, you know, you have other, you had other concerns than we did, you know, because basically we were bigfooters. Our whole thing was try to get bigfoot on camera, try to get a recording, do something bigfooty, get something to bring back. But you had like, okay, well these these jerks are just doing bigfoot stuff. They're not helping. We got to make a story out of this. But like yeah, you have to. And
2: this is not your else. fault on this one. Uh, and also, I need to start waiting until you're done talking because that's gonna be hard to edit. Um, but, uh, the UK, that was one like. I remember we all wanted to go to New Zealand. There's like stories of New Zealand, Bigfoots, and like we, we've been to a bunch that where English was the main language. So the network really wants to go somewhere there. they spoke English. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of good stuff in the UK. We get there, and there's no woods, and there's <laughs> nothing there. I mean, Scotland's cool, and it's great. I mean, it's all great fun. But as far as like trying to tie a story together, Bigfoot, and it was all smoke and mirrors and just like effects that we did. And yeah, we went we went and looked for the Loch Ness monster to fill time. I thought that was way worth it i agree it was cool but bigfooting had nothing to do with that's true that's true it, it, it all ended up fine it was fun to go there's it was it was one of those perfect. things it's like why are we here
0: is that when we jumped the shark or was it did we have to wait for hawaii to jump the shark
1: Hawaii was like a full double backflip over the shark
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah hawaii was a tough one too uh
1: yeah, that one was a little tough.
0: But, you know, I, I've spoken to Hawaii Hawaiian natives since, and they're adamant that Minahuni are real deals, like real animals out there. It's like, oh, I don't know, man, maybe. I don't think so, but maybe. I, I've been wrong lots of times.
1: So, Hamill, you grew up in the Dalles, which is right up the Columbia River there. and I mean, that's Bigfoot turf. And your grandpa had, what, like an 800-acre ranch or 3,000-acre ranch, cattle
2: ranch? Uh, it's like 5,000.
1: Uh, so, yeah, you went bird hunting and stuff. So, you were in that zone what did you know about Bigfoot growing up
2: well I mean this I uh because we were really close to the Mount Mount Hood National Forest uh I think it was like 20 minute drive and you're there um uh, basically and so like you know you heard Bigfoot stories growing up uh I'm not gonna lie I'm one of those people who are like like I've heard a couple of kids in our high school their parents had them we were like oh did that see Bigfoot like we we we, we were asked them <laughs> you No, know, I mean I heard stories for sure um I remember my dad's boss growing up, he said that he saw one while he was on a, uh, like a logging road, access road, another guy, a guy in my high school classes, dad saw one out hunting, saw through the scope. So, I mean, we'd hear stories for sure.
0: Oh, yeah, that area is so good. The whole Doofer area and all that jazz, man, like all that area in there is basically one big transition zone, you know, that goes from rainforest to desert. And that, and that whole area is right in between it. So there's so much food, so much stuff comes out of there even now.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially like there's a lot more. I know at least in the eastern part of the state, like elk are starting to be reintroduced there and bighorn sheep are reintroduced there. So there's a lot more, I'd say, food opportunities now.
1: So when you were with us, when was the first time you got smart enough to realize, oh, my God, these things are probably real? What, what event in the field were you thought for the first time, like, oh, my God, this, this sounds like there really is something like a big giant wood ape running around?
2: But always that made me more of a believer than anything I heard in the woods because everything we heard was kind of far off and it's like yeah it's weird but again it, it, like I can't just say because I saw, heard a sound I can't just go it's a Bigfoot is when we talk to witnesses that to me was always much more convincing and compelling uh, like the town halls like we had a guy you know people who set up who were, were sheriffs we had one guy who was a Secret Service member and he's like you can't tell my job because I'll lose it but he his family saw one. And, like, I mean, these people had nothing to gain by telling us what they saw. So, to me, that was always much more of a compelling argument than anything that we heard about out there. But I mean, same, in in the same breath, the times we were in Tennessee, every time we're in Tennessee, and like the trees got pushed over on us twice from very close, those to me were like just butt puckering times.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that was awesome. What
0: what would you guess, like what's your estimate, what percentage of the witnesses at town hall and whatever that we spoke to, what percentage would you guess are lying?
2: I don't know. I got to imagine somewhere, you know, that's just, especially as we got more popular, I think, you know, like I remember like a person I knew, she and her husband, like, hey, can we go? We're going to, we're going to tell a story, have a whole backstory. I'm like, don't do that. I, I don't want that. We don't want fabricated stories. That doesn't help us. Um, but for sure, maybe at 15, 20%, and then you got to take another 10, 15%. Could be, you know, misidentification or just people, you know, wanting to see a bigfoot that's so bad that they just convinced themselves they saw it. Right. Then again, and then I think there was, I think a fair bit of the people we had, legit saw one, you know, or believe they saw one at least.
0: Yeah. Well, there there were a couple like layers of vetting. That uh, came in between uh, the, the the airing of the episode and when we first asked these people to be part of it. You know, a lot of these people came from the BFRO database or my own database, so uh, you know we probably spoke to them to some degree if we recommended them. And then, of course, you have to go through the production and talk to Mantooth or you or somebody like that. Not that uh, you know either one of you are particularly you know talented at. Never mind, I was going to heckle you, but it didn't come out. Um, <laughs> But nonetheless, but yeah, so they talked to producers and such, and then they got to be on screen and then be under this, you know, our eye, you know, and moneymakers always looking for hoaxes. So, I mean, he, and you say what you want about, about Matt, but he's pretty good at busting hoaxes, man. He's really good.
2: Although uh, sometimes as Matt even said himself, he's not even listening to the witnesses. He's off looking in the woods.
0: <laughs> but was... remember that the Yeti he saw in Nepal that he got us all going on where he was like staring out to the woods and he thought he yeah. saw a Yeti.
2: Yeah. Cause we were, they were doing a, a dance for us, uh, like a local guy. And like I'm like, I kept off camera. Matt, I'm like, Matt, you look – because like Matt looked disinterested. He was off looking off camera. I was like, come on, Matt, please just pay attention. And then he was like, no, no, I see something. And then we had to get out a telephoto lens. And it looked cool, but then as we got a better lens on there, we could see it.
0: Yeah, that, that made the uh, extra features, uh, the episode, I think, on that one, actually, if I remember correctly.
2: It did, yes.
1: Oh, Hamill, hey, well, I tell this story all the time. You were there when – the the Yeti was whistling howling coming up the hill.
2: At that point, I wasn't out in the field all the time. Um, I was doing because I was also doing uh, some other stuff. So when I came to Nepal, just to be there, and so I didn't want to sort of step on the supervisor's toes. So I said, listen, when Bobo goes out camping, I'll do the I'll do the you know camera work, and I'll just go out. So it was the three of us, you know, they're out there doing the sherpa dance, and next thing you know, you just hear some whistling, you hear some yelling off in the distance, and yeah, it's very odd,
1: but it was exactly what everyone that heard it described exactly that sound.
2: Yeah, it was funny though. That guy though, it was—he uh, was the nicest little Sherpa guy in the world. But anything Bobo saw, he'd go, "That's Yeti." It's like, no, <laughs> Bobo's like, no, that's not a Yeti. <laughs> like Bobo's like, look, there's like a cave. He's like, yes, yeah, a Yeti cave. He's like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and remember? that's the guy to hire for your next tv show then huh
1: yeah when we were when we were going out there though he was the only guy that was really because remember we had the porters that carried stuff for us too and then mm-hmm. they ran off remember when the when the sound started when the rain started they just took off remember
2: well yeah because the rain was really bad another thing that happened there that was pretty insane is it rained very hard in Nepal to the point where like we couldn't do anything like i think bobo i left a like a a thing of water out of our tent, and it was filled. I mean, it must have rained seven inches. Like, I mean, like it downpoured to the point it, it took out roads, and so a bunch of the locals down below heard that an American film crew was there, and very mad that we brought some sort of bad juju, or bad luck, and washed out the road or the trail. That this it's not a road you can't drive, but the trail, and uh, they confronted us with homemade guns. Yep, yeah. they said I angered the goddess at the lake. Yeah, yeah, they were mad, and then we had we had these Buddhist guys with Buddhist monks with us, and they were trying to the Buddhist monks were trying to fight these guys, and I'm like, I, "You guys aren't the peaceful Buddhist monks that we were led to believe." they were Shaolin stereotypes. stereotypes <laughs> they <were> Shaolin.
0: <laughs> and how many times in your life have you infuriated the goddess
1: Bobo? Uh, the one I live with every day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: At the village that we were at, where the rest of the crew was that we hiked from, they said that their rain gauge filled up 15 inches that night.
2: I mean, it could. It wasn't. I mean, you remember how many days it took us to even get up there because, like, we were supposed to fly to Lupla. And then we were going to hike over to where we had to hike to, but we were stuck in the airport for days. And so we finally just uh, said, just, just just a charter, some helicopters. And we got helicopters, we went straight to the village because we missed so many days of shooting.
0: <laughs> well, I, that was so ridiculous. So, because I remember um, thinking, well, this is the rainy season, right? I remember everybody saying, this is the rainy season. So yeah, but the production team, like the guys who planned this back in LA, were oh, it's the end of the rainy season. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, it, it's uh, like
2: I mean, how many times did we get like the go ahead to start filming, and it's like, okay, yeah, now it's November, and like we're out there in the woods in the deadest part of the. It's, it's like we don't have much daylight to shoot our daylight scenes because you know we do have interviews to do in the day. You have to be in the day to talk to these people um and all that stuff. I mean, it was nice to get out in the woods earlier, but it's also freezing. There's less animal life, and I was like. To Animal Planet, I'm like, dude, you got to green light us in the spring. I mean, that's the best time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would have chosen any other time of the year to go to the Blue Mountains, for example. Uh, you weren't on that show, were you? Like, you, you, you I wasn't were I back...
2: was on that episode, but I, you know, I, I mean, I was on it, but I wasn't out there with you guys. No. Yeah. You, know,
0: you saw it all in post or whatever. You didn't have to actually uh, tolerate the, you know, the negative temperatures and the 40 mile per hour winds and things like that. Nope. Yeah, that one rivals uh, Kansas for being a pretty lousy episode to have had to film. It was great. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved it. Great stuff that happened, et cetera. But man, it was cold.
2: Well, then that was a so Kansas. we could have done any time of year in Kansas would have sucked. It's not, not the state, but just the big footing in that area. It's, yeah. It's just not yeah. very, but the Blue Mountains would have been a good place to go. It's got a great, you know, backstory. You have Jeff Meldrum with you and all that stuff.
1: That was the winner of Arctic Vortex, remember?
2: Yeah.
1: Came out two, you came back home for the two hour special at Four Corners. Remember that on my solo night with uh with the uh George we went out over like at ten thousand five hundred feet and freaking with the windshield was negative twenty seven that night, remember?
2: <laughs> I remember a lot of nights when it was just horribly cold. <laughs> well I remember uh I mean we weren't out during this, but that first time in Utah but Logan, it was really cold out there. Oh, yeah. it was. But some reason on that last night, I, I do remember this because Cliff's birthday actually, yep. and we were in that weird ranch that just had like a pocket of warm air, even though there's snow I and mean, there's ton of snow. And but they fed the elk there year round, so we saw all these deer and elk on the therms And then we heard something. I mean, it was it was a great night.
0: Yeah, that was like a two and a half feet of snow trudging, though. It was pretty gnarly in that way. But you know what helped to make it, besides my birthday, what helped make it a lot of fun is that that was the night you and I started doing a Red Bull shots or something. Didn't we didn't <laughs> have like three of them or something before we went out that night?
2: Yeah, well, it was our last episode of season two, and it was a rough, long season because that was one of those ones we stayed out for like, I don't know. I mean, we were out for months on end, and we didn't go home either. Yeah. And that was the last episode, the last, uh, the last day of shooting. So it's like, let's go big. Me, you, and Mark Combella all did. I think we took like a five-hour energy and put it inside of a Red Bull.
0: Yeah, I think we did two Red Bull. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We went, we went nuts that night. It was fun.
1: Remember that we came back? Moneymaker was supposed to be out solo camping. I remember it was negative 11 with the wind chill. And we come in, and Moneymaker's sitting there in the hot tub.
2: <laughs> There's so <laughs> many of those nights.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, the, hey, re, well, remember, man, that's how I got my dog. Tyler Bounds was looking for Moneymaker to film him, um, but he couldn't find them because Matt was in a hot tub 40 miles away somewhere, um, but found my dog instead, which is cool. And I'm petting her as I speak to you. So, uh, um, Chad, there are some incongruencies, I guess. There are some difficulties, shall we say, with making Bigfoot television. Your expertise is obviously television. Our thing is Bigfoot. Um, where's the clash? Like, from a television perspective, what makes it so okay. difficult to, to film Bigfoot stuff?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's actually an easy one to answer, is that television is a medium, especially cameras, of light. You need light to shoot. And um, for Bigfooting, you guys want stealth, you want dark. So that's two polar opposites right there. You know, like, we need to, like, you, to, even with our night vision cameras, we need, you know, IR lights that have a red glow to them. And so those first couple of seasons, like, I mean, we are like, we we're going through the woods with headlamps and all that stuff. And you guys would get so mad at us, but I'm like, well, what do you want us to do? Like we're, we need to see. And so it was just sort of like figuring out like, how do I do this in the dark? How do we get darker? How do we get dark? And then, then we started taping everything up, anything that light, we tape up. We would like tape over the IR so that, like, it, would, it wouldn't have as much as a harsh light on you guys. Um, remember, i don't I'm sure you guys remember those first backpacks that, you know, this, like, floating oh. back on them.
0: That, that's when I realized the production hated us is when they uh, made us wear those first generation packs because there were screws literally going into my spine.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you guys have cameras on your back as record decks. But yeah, so that's the the main thing is like we need light to shoot. But as you know, like technology has progressed, it's gotten so we don't need it as much and we've gotten better. And again, it, it was sort of like we just needed to figure out how to do some things like get different flare cameras that didn't have, you know, an LCD screen that just... Blew out the whole backdrop.
0: Now, uh, what what did you hear from the the camera people and you know the sound people and the stuff? Because I'm sure that they found us to be very difficult at times. Um, what 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 do you think their biggest complaints were about having to film in the conditions that well, we did?
2: the Sound not so much. It's you know, sound is sound. You know whatever. Like um he just or he or she whoever we had in there just needed to mic you guys up and make sure that they could hear you. Uh, the sound I don't know if you guys remember this. For a while we had them putting pieces of red gel over their eyepieces and you know they're already shooting on a astroscope which is the night vision it's the green and then you have that so you know your your color palette is already down so you can't see it as very sh- if you're picture sharp and then you're looking through a piece of gel as well so you lose a whole nother level of, of clarity and so a lot of times like they're worried that they're shooting out of focus the whole time and then they're shooting out of focus and like why the why are we even out there if like we get something and we can't even see it so they were there's a lot of I remember there's a lot of frustration in the camera on that. They're like, we can't, you know, you're asking I remember Dana said it best. He's like, you're asking me to play guitar with just three of my fingers, you know.
0: Django Reinhardt did it. I was going to (laughs) say. That's
2: what I told him to (laughs) do. Yeah, that was like the biggest. And again, so eventually, you know, we're like, hey, you guys have to give them the eyepiece. And they have to have it. And we make some compromises. And you guys made some compromises.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that both, both sides of that are, uh, of the, you know, both sides I think made a lot of compromises and, uh, and in the end of it all, I mean, I've, I've seen some of the other stuff that, that has been put out. It's like, I, gosh, finding Bigfoot was a lot better show than I thought, you know, when I was doing it, I didn't, I don't, I don't think I quite appreciated, um, the quality of show that it was at the time. Cause I was just thinking it could be better, but right. I think at a certain point it can't be better, you know?
2: Yeah. And then, uh- there's a way that you guys do bigfooting that just especially the way I mean, I don't know if this is you guys well, but I know Matt wants to do it a way where he goes, gets in the car and drives, gets out, does his house, doesn't hear anything, gets in the car, moves, moves, moves. and then like as far as the audience is concerned, that's not like the coolest thing. It doesn't see, it seems like really I don't know, it doesn't seem rugged versus like you guys are off trail, you're hiking, you're hiking and that and I know that frustrated Matt a lot because he's like, we could be hiking for hours and not hear or see anything. But I'm like, dude, but you don't go like if I'm hunting because I grew up hunting. I don't go and bait an area and go, well, nothing's here. And then I just leave. I'm like, I'm putting out my bait. I'm hoping to draw something in. And so that's sort of like where we would sort of butt heads at time.
1: Because you were the go-between between the network and us pretty much. Would they be like, hey, what are these guys going to be problems with? They're never going to film Bigfoots. So they're not real. Like just tell them to shut up. You know what I mean? Like how is that? Uh-huh.
2: No, they never ever said anything like that. You know, they're pretty respectful of everything. Uh, I mean, they're, they're just worried about, like, how, how can we do things differently? We're always doing howls and knocks. Like, what can we do that's different? And that's why we do some of those, you know, like, search techniques. And some of them were cheesy. And I know, like, listen, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that some of them were, you know, like, not consistent with anything of when you find a Bigfoot or any animal, really. But that's just because they're, like, we're tired of seeing them do howls and knocks. But, I mean, that's... That's your guys' main bag right there. That's how you do, you do what you do. So that was their big sort of, that was the, sort of like the, the, the this protection I had to serve for you guys, like sort of go between, like, sort of sh- or, uh, shield you guys from that.
0: I'm sure that we've all taken some heat for the search techniques over the years, but. Uh... When you, when you stand back a few paces and take a look, it makes perfect sense because you basically have two approaches. You can either go in stealthy or you can go in and try to draw some attention. Well, you know, the, the audience, um, forgets, I think very often, um, which is actually a, a testament to how good the show is. The audience forgets that there's a camera guy there and a, and a, and a producer and a sound person and who knows, maybe a story producer too. Um, there's four people out there, minimum, usually. I think when you're looking at, say, Bobo and I or something on a night investigation, um, so it's impossible to go in stealthily. You just mm-hmm. can't. We got to change light. we got to change batteries. We got to change cards. We got to do this stuff every forty five minutes or so. So the only only other option we had is to go big and exploit Sasquatch's only uh, weakness, which is their curiosity and intelligence. maybe they'll come in for a closer look. And sometimes they did. Um, I don't think a lot of people appreciate that our hands were tied really because going in stealthily and sitting in a tree stand for four hours is the worst TV I can possibly imagine watching. Yeah. Although sometimes the Bigfoots would show up at base camp. Yeah. Season two, I think it was, I mean, you know, better than me, your memory is amazing compared to mine, actually amazing in general, but especially compared to mine. Uh, what is it, High knob, I think in Virginia, am I correct on that?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. We were like four or five miles away, poking around, looking for Sasquatches. And they came to the U-Haul truck and were throwing rocks at it. And like Micah and those guys were watching movies, trying to, you know, trying to catch some Z's or something like that while we're out. And they're like, who's, who's messing with us. So, oh dude, that was, that was Sasquatches, man.
1: It <laughs> happened in Kentucky. It happened, uh, big time in, um, God, where else was that? Kentucky. Ohio. Ohio. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's where I saw it was Ohio. Yeah. And then, um, God, there was another spot that they really got pelted.
2: To answer the, the, another one of your questions there. Uh, so, Keith, who did who hosted the behind the scenes show, was also our boss at Ammo Planet. And he'd always want to take the behind the scenes crew out on a Bigfoot expedition. Like, and I, I'd say no every time, I'm like, no, I don't want you to do that. A, because it's just too many people. And, you know, like, you guys would get frustrated with us if we'd walk too much, you know, make too much noise, or you guys are trying to listen. Uh, so you add another couple of people to that, and B, I didn't want to like sort of pull back the curtain on the audience's belief that like it wasn't just the two of you guys out there. Like all of a sudden you start to see like, hey, it's five people. Because I remember how many times people were like, "God, it must be scary out there." I'm like, "No, nah, it's not that bad because it's a group of us."
1: I don't think it was ever the only time it was ever scared me. A little bit was when people were shooting at us.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was that was Kentucky
1: and, and Hoopa.
2: Oh, I forgot about that. Uh, the only Kentucky, they were shooting for raccoons. Hoopa uh, were actually chasing us with guns. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Shoot at the
0: helicopter too,
1: right?
2: Well, they said they were going to. I don't think they ever did.
1: No, yeah, we saw we in my chopper. We saw two guys point rifles at the, but when the spotlight hit them, they dropped their rifles down.
2: Well, also, I don't know if you remember, but I had really bad uh, poison oak there, oh. so bad. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I do remember that. I had to kneel as I was shooting back at you guys. I had kneel, and my legs were so swollen. I had to kneel in that thing for like an hour and a half, and I just remember my pants looked down, and they were like they were crusted on me because all the pus was breaking.
0: Yeah, you you took a lot for the team, Chad. I mean, you're 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 our hero in a lot of ways. Um, what are some of the injuries you suffered? <laughs> okay, Poison Oak. We know that Moneymaker didn't want to go up white. the hill.
2: I think we were in. Is the first time we were in. Willow Creek, we were walking down with uh, with Bob Gimlin, and I, I was on a tree, and the tree broke. <laughs> and I literally uh, fell and hit something. I think I might have cracked my shin bone. It was messed up for a while. But I just, like, set it into the water. The water was really cold. That helped. And then I just drank a bunch. Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I mean, I, I just did small things. I think we were in Indonesia, and I remember, remember how hard it was raining. We were coming down that steep hill, and I just fell... And I fell into like a barbed wire fence. And I just lay there. I'm like, I'm done. This us just leave me guys. Like I was all tangled up. I think bubble ran over. and was like, come on, Hamill, get up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a few things you like, you're always kind of hurt, but we always just, uh, I mean, the hardest part about that show is sort of the schedule, like the changing, like one night you're out till six and the next day you kind of get up early. So you can interview people because you have a short day because the, the light. And so like, those days you just feel so like beat up and tired we used to call it the bigfoot hangover it's like all the fun of the hangover none of the fun of drinking yeah
1: <laughs> oh dude our, yeah we have our days off we just we'd get home at like the sun's already up it's like seven o'clock or five or six in the morning whatever and you're just like oh man and you get up at, like one or two and you gotta do your laundry then here, I got a question for you, Chad. I want, okay. I want to hear your version of, of this
0: recollection here. Um, uh, I believe it was Colorado taking a cab or no, no driving back from where you were. You did the, you did the open night, open mic comedy thing. And I think uh-huh. you and Bobo were in a car and you guys jumped out and saved some people from getting beat up. Am, am, oh, am I right?
2: Let's just say Bobo saves some people. <laughs> Uh, It was me, Bobo, and a lady from Animal Planet. She was driving us back. I don't remember. She was like a PR person or publicist or something. And Bobo sees something going down at a gas station. He's like, well, well, pull over, pull over. And I'm like, I told her, don't pull over. Just keep going. And these guys are getting beat up. And Bobo runs out. And I'm like, well, crap. Now I have to run out. And and so then I run out. And Bobo's sort of breaking it up. And then I kind of push this guy off because that guy's like, I kind of wrestling around. And the guy's like, turns on me. And I'm like, yo, I don't want to fight. And I just put my hands up, like, I'm down. <laughs> and they kind of like, I just remember they, they kind of like find whatever they disperse. And the guy's on the ground, and he's hurt. And I'm like, hey, what do you need? Like, you like, give me ice. So I just ran in the store and bought him a whole bag of ice and just set it on his head.
0: Yeah, you got like a seven pound bag or something, didn't you? Yeah,
2: yeah, full bag. Uh, and then we <laughs> got in the car and left. And then I know the cops, I think, came and talked to Bobo about it, but uh, they didn't talk to me. And I was happy because we almost got in another fight. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this. We we're in Louisiana. It's like season 2B or something. And we hear stuff. We're like, oh, God, that's great. We were hearing it. And if we find out it's a bunch of locals just messing with us. You know, they're out there with baseball bats and they're hitting trees and stuff. And Money Mayor gets just furious. And he's like, I'm going to go get them. And I'm like, stop, stop. Like, these guys are like hillbillies who are drunk. And we know they have baseball bats. Yeah. Like, what What are we going to do? What's the best case scenario, Matt? And he doesn't care. He's not listening. And, you know, when he gets zoned in, he's like, I'm going to go talk to them. And and so I finally is able to stop him. I remember going into this. Like, I'm just like walking in. I could hear them laughing. I, I know it's a bunch of like drunk dudes. And I was like. God, I knew I was. Like, I'm like thinking in my head. I'm like, I'm walking into me getting my ass kicked. Like this is going to be fun. They knew because we, we were on private property. I think someone spilled the beans, and it, it was just like whatever. Like we already had a pretty good night. We heard some things. We saw some cool things. It's like, like why that this is in the night. That's like, we're good. We're good. We got. We have the show in the bag. We had. A, it was a good episode. We had a crawfish boil. We found out that they had you know drive-through daiquiri stands there. I mean, the whole thing was great. <laughs>
0: Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: What kind of reaction would you get around town, Chad, when people find out you worked on finding Bigfoot, like in the TV role? They just laugh. Like, would you? Would they would they be surprised? You say, "Hey, we we actually talked to good witnesses, and I've heard stuff that's hard to
2: explain." Yes. It's back and forth, and I'm sure it's similar. to what You guys get. Uh, I mean, inevitably, you always get the stupid. Did you find him? What's funny is even my wife gets that. Oh, did you find him? Uh, you find him yet? Yeah, you find him yet? But yeah, so I mean, but uh, there's there's a good amount of like people who are just like, oh man, I can't believe it. But then again, you look like there's so many shows in that ilk where like. Ghost shows, alien shows. So like no one really is laughing at you in the business. They're like, oh, okay, cool. They're more like that show, even if they don't believe in big but like that show did really well. That show did great. Like, oh, how was that? What was that like? And then the other people who loved the show and they're like, oh yeah, I loved it. It was cool. You like, you did this. Oh, why didn't you guys do that? You know, I was just thinking about this this morning. Like someone asked me, who's like, a kind of a big exec. Like, why didn't you guys ever do Dawn Patrol? Well, just because the way our schedules work, they've been so hard. Yeah. 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 I mean, we well, kind of did it in New Mexico when we did the hot air balloon. When <laughs> that's a whole other story that made it on. I mean, like it was me, you, Mark Kambelik, Bobo, and then the the pilot, the pilot everything's guy. Everything's <laughs> going great. But first of all, very first he wasn't gonna let us go. He's like, no, it's too windy. And I'm like, it didn't feel like there's any wind. And we kind of guilted him into letting us go. And everything's going great. We're looking at the brown scene spots. You know, the helicopter's there. Mark and I had to like bend down so that we could see on camera. And then all of a sudden we hit a thermal and we just go off course. And I'm like, where are we going? The guy's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But next thing you know, I, he's like, I see a bunch of power lines. He's like, someone's got to jump. I go, all right, guys, see you later. <laughs> I <just> jumped out.
0: <laughs> Yeah, he did say that if we don't put down right there on the road in between the power lines and the river, there's nothing for like 80 miles in that direction. So it was there or nowhere. Yeah, uh, I which is horrifying I
2: mean, one thing wasn't on cameras how much we ripped that hotter balloon up
0: oh my yeah, god it
1: went through the trees and then <laughs> and teetered just, precariously fairy, on the edge of a cliff and you just yeah. hear it ripping just going rip and you look out there's this giant hole in the side of the balloon. he's like i just gotta turn up the gas and memories we were on the last tank of gas like we would have crashed like in another 20 minutes if we didn't land there
2: well, I was just happy that Mark Com- Combelli got out with me and was able to like jump and get his camera right when you guys touched down. Everyone was like, "Oh, what's it like to crash crash a hard air And I'm like, "It's much slower than you'd think. I mean, yeah. it happens pretty slow." <laughs> it, it
1: was. It was slow motion. But yeah, and then probably, like the it could, have, it could have been super super gnarly. Oh
2: yeah. yeah, I mean, if one if one cross breeze would have came in, like there's power lines everywhere.
0: Yeah, river power lines, a road. I mean, the road wasn't closed down. A semi could have come down on there. Uh, luckily that, that last little, uh, breeze of wind, you know, dragged, dragged the balloon, which dragged the basket that Bobo and I were in with the pilot, uh, dragged it down that cliff and then just deposited us right next to the road. And uh, I, I was lucky that, um, Bobo was still fat. Then I landed on him. So it was a pretty soft <laughs> landing for me.
2: He did that for you, Cliff. He was waiting for he that did moment that for
0: me. <laughs> Thank you, Bobo. <laughs> you
2: know what I was thinking about, the other day too uh, that makes me laugh all the time is in Rhode Island. We did the whole stampede uh, with the with the torches. Right. Oh yeah. But before we got going, we we're in this sort of locked. It was a, I think it was BLM land. It was locked, and somehow these guys on four wheelers got lost. And they come around the corner, and there's the three of you guys with torches, at <laughs> the and top of the hill, us, <laughs> and they just turn around and go the other way.
0: I <laughs> forgot about that. They must've just been crapping their pants. Like what the hell did we just walk into?
2: <laughs> that show was hard. This has been, like, I don't think there's any way around to say that it was not, it's not the easiest show to do, but I mean, there's also a lot of times that we were laughing pretty heavy on that show.
0: Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was some of the best and worst times all thrown into this one big nine year period of mushed up memory for me, man. Yeah. I, I have a hard time keeping it all straight.
1: If we didn't have a cool crew, it would have been undoable. Unbearable, for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys like Cliff has said he's done some other shoots since that, and like you know, a lot of times these guys are like, "Well, we know how to make TV," and then they kind of just leave it at that without listening to any input from you guys how to go. And because there's one thing about making TV, but you might be making bad TV if you guys don't get any sort of action. So I mean, it's like you probably listen to the bigfooters as well because they know what they're doing in, the, in their world. So. Yeah, but I will say,
0: man, walking away. I, I, I mean, you may disagree with me, Chad, but I consider you a good friend. Um, uh, there's Grandpa too, you know, Andy, and I, I walked away from this show, this amazing experience, having a lot of really good friends that I suspect I'll probably uh, have around the rest of my life. I mean, I, I got my wife on the show. Yeah, I, I, I would love just to get the band back together, just to see everybody again. But maybe someday, you know. Chad,
1: you've so. said it all. You've done yeah, it I've all. Said it all. Much. Is there anything you gotta is there anything you want to get off your chest, Chad? Any venting?
2: No, like I say, like uh, I remember at the time, there's times I'm just like, I gotta quit the show. Like this is killing me. Like, I'm just, I'm just like just so much and too much. And then I remember that one of the owners of the company, Ping Pong, is like, I guarantee you, when this is over, you're gonna look back and be like, Oh my god, that was so much fun. And I'm like, Oh god, you're wrong. And then I'm looking back, I'm like, Jesus, that was a lot of fun. So uh, I thank you guys because uh, without you guys we could have done it. It was a blast, and like you guys are homies for life, and uh, you know you treated me well, and you like, showed me a good time.
0: The show, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the show wouldn't have been half as good as what it was without you, man. I mean, we when we were going through all those producers having problems with everybody, I mean, we we zeroed in on you. We wanted you to be the guy because you. You could tolerate us you kind of shared the vision in a way at early, or you pretended to and uh you know it worked man I, It worked i'm so thankful for uh for you and the people that i met over the over the years and stuff a great experience i didn't think so at the time either but looking
1: back now i know better it was a great experience yeah, and chad gave us a lot of the funny stuff that was said on the show chad some of the funniest stuff the cast said on the show came from chad off camera
2: you're welcome <laughs>
1: All right. Well, with that, I
0: guess we can just close this thing down. Um, and uh, I want to thank everybody for listening and thank Chad for coming on.
2: Thanks it's always a me. pleasure
0: to have a love having conversations with you um, and with Bobo and in, in tow. It's it's even better. So
2: well, I'm sure I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Well, I hope so. a, thanks, bud. All right, guys. All right. See you later.
0: Well, that was great, man. I, I, you know, I know finding Bigfoot's years ago now, but man, it's a lot of fun reminiscing with some friends and stuff. So that was a great choice for a guest, Bobo. I'm glad you chose Chad. Yeah. And if everybody out there likes this kind of episode, if you like us reminiscing about finding Bigfoot with some of the crew members, feel free to, you know, send us emails or write on our social media or comment wherever you can comment. Um, Let us know what kind of shows you're looking for. And uh, maybe we can accommodate you somehow and give you more stuff that you are looking for.
1: Yep. If you like the show, hit like, tell your friends about it, share it. And until next week, keep it squatchy.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond. That's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag #BigfootAndBeyond.